Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. And I, let me mention also that uh, following the service, as we uh, are, have as a custom here, we uh, have a, an offering where you may participate at the door. It's for local benevolence. It's to help people within our church and outside of our church. And uh, if you would like to participate, we just wanted to let you know there'll be folks at the various doors uh, um, and you can give at that time if you would like to. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about where uh, I'm going with the message today because it's really an introduction to uh, a, about 10 more messages. Uh, not that I'm going to do immediately. I'm going to do them uh, when we have communion. Ordinarily, once in a while, I might throw a, a different one in there. Uh, I guess I should say maybe not about 10 more because I'm doing the Ten Commandments. So uh, it, will, it will be 10 more. Um, but what we're going to do is, uh, as we head toward the table today, is consider the law itself. Uh, it's, it's, an, it's essential that we understand that. And um, so we're not going to look at a specific command today, although we will in uh, future messages. Uh, the book of Galatians is for people who had uh, developed a wrong view of the law and of grace. They didn't get it, or if they got it, they had forgotten it. And so it's a, a corrective book, and that's going to be our, our passage today. Now, the first hymn we sang today the words were written by John Newton. I hope you paid attention to the words. I hope you always do because hymns are carefully chosen here. But uh, it's got some uh, wonderful words. Now, John Newton, you know him better as the writer of Amazing Grace. He was a slave trader, uh, was converted to Christ repented of uh, being a slave trader, had a profound influence on others who eventually uh, were able to stamp out uh, slavery in England. Uh, but he became ultimately a, a pastor. And the words in that hymn, he uses the phrase, he has hushed the law's loud thunder. It's one of my favorite turns of a phrase in, in a hymn. He has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. Now, what does he mean by that? I'm convinced that that's accurate. It's a, it's a true statement. It's fitting with the Scripture. What does it mean to hush the loud thunder of the law? What is the purpose of the law. Newton said this at another time, the correct understanding of the harmony between law and grace is to preserve oneself from being entangled by errors on the right hand and on the left. He's saying, you know, if you, if you don't understand the law or grace, 
you're, you're going to fall off one side or the other. And it's a dangerous place to be. It's essential that we understand how they fit together. So let's read. Uh, I want to start actually with verse 23 of Galatians 3. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we we pray that where we fall into the traps that the Galatians fell into, of having a wrong view of the law or of grace, that you, by your Spirit today, would be the corrective, that you would give us more of an understanding. So even, Lord, as we approach this precious table, we would rejoice in you, in the goodness of your law, and how amazing your grace is. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Terms of the purpose of the law, John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, said, the man who does not know the nature of the law cannot know the nature of sin, and he who does not know the nature of sin cannot know the nature of the Savior. Does that sound essential to you? Does that show you how essential a right understanding of the law is? And Newton gives us the other side, the dangers of misunderstanding the relation with the law and grace. So let's, let's consider it. Uh, theologically, we uh, uh, usually talk about the three uses of the law. You have the pedagogical. Don't worry about these terms. I'll explain them. The civil and the didactic. Now let me explain those three, and, and we, we will see how... I, I think it will make sense as we talk about them. I don't use... Uh, the word pedagogical very often, uh, but it means having to do with a, a teacher. That's all it means, simply. And so, uh, in fact, if you have the old King James or you grew up reading the King James Bible, instead of the word 
guardian in Galatians 3.24. Let me read you 3.24. It says, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So then the law was our guardian. Where it uses the word guardian, the King James used the term schoolmaster. Does that sound familiar? The law being our, our schoolmaster. Now, we don't call them schoolmasters anymore, but if you grew up, when they called them schoolmasters, you get the idea. This, this is, you know, there is a, a, a stern aspect where it is guiding, where it is directing, where it pushes toward something, and that's the idea here. The law is a mirror for us in, in this use of the law. And it reflects two things. It reflects the perfection of God and it also reflects our imperfection. Think about, um, well, let me speak for myself because I don't know what, what you do when you get up in the morning. But here's what happens when I get up in the morning. Happened again this morning. I got out of bed. It's dark. I walk into the, the bathroom, and where I turn on the light, there's a, a big mirror right there. I turn on the light, and it's like, ouch, you know, <laughs> when, when you look at it. And it's almost as if the mirror is saying, the night did not treat you well, you know. <laughs> you have all the bulbs up there like you're a movie star and it's, ooh, you know. Well, what, what happens? Well, you're seeing your imperfections. You know, the very thing that, you know, where I guess you ladies like having those lights when you're putting on makeup and that kind of thing. Some of you ladies are shaking your head, no. <laughs> well, then you get the idea. And that's, that's what a mirror actually is going to do because it's telling you the truth back. And that's, that's what the law is for us. It, it shows us, because it shows God's perfection, it shows in a glaring way our imperfection. So that's the idea of the, the pedagogical, being a schoolmaster. And it's going to drive you somewhere, which we'll see in a minute. The second use of the law is the civil use, and we won't spend a lot of time on that. The idea is uh, the restraint of evil to some degree, yeah, you, you can look at our civil laws and you can see how they're, uh, to, a, to a great degree, based upon uh, the Ten Commandments. Laws against murder and false witness, those kinds of things. Uh, basically, it protects the righteous from the unjust. This is what uh, John Calvin said. This purpose is by means of its fearful denunciations and the consequent dread of punishment to curb those who, unless forced, have no regard for rectitude and justice. Basically, 
He's saying, look, they're there for those that would be lawbreakers, would do damage to you or others if the law and if the threat of punishment wasn't there. That's the idea of the the civil use of the law. It it allows for a limited measure of justice uh, here on earth until the ultimate uh, judgment takes place. And that's really what it points to in in a sense. You know, it's never going to be completely fair and just here. Just if you're not used to that, get used to it. Because it's, you know, any system is imperfect here. But, but if there's any justice, it, it points to the fact that one day there'll be pure justice and right justice. And you can look at places like Romans 13 and see uh, how um, we are to respond to the law and to civil government and and that kind of a thing. And then there's the didactic, uh, and the, again, the idea of teaching, to reveal what's pleasing to God. Let me read to you Galatians 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in a sense, we see the highest function of the law in that it it serves to tell us how we can uh, honor honor God and give him glory, how we we can live a, a life with the fullness of joy here in this life. It's not going to save you by living, but once you come to Christ out of gratitude, you seek to obey it, and it will be best for you and for your children if you do that, if you follow those, how we can live that kind of a life out of gratitude for what Christ has done for us. Now, in this series, we're going to focus mostly on the first and third uses of the law, and I'll come back and remind you of those things uh, when we get back to it. But here, here's, here's the, in terms of grace, we've got to immediately see the necessity for grace. And that's what takes place when, you know, we see our flaws and when it comes to the law of God and his perfection and our imperfection, we say, you know what, no matter how hard I try, I can't get there. And so it shows us that we need something else given to us. And that's grace and undeserved favor. That which we haven't earned and don't deserve if we are to survive, if we are to have a relationship with God. Augustine wrote this. The law orders that we, after attempting to do what is ordered, and so feeling our weakness under the law, may learn to implore the help of grace. So in other words, we we try our best, and then we say, you know, I can't seem to do it. Oh, wait a minute. I need his grace in this. Augustine further said, through the law, God opens man's eyes so that he sees his helplessness. The law was given in order that we might seek grace. Grace was given in order that we might fulfill the law. Isn't that beautiful? 
That's, that's, what, it's, that's what the grace is for. <clears throat> and so while uh, it's by grace that we come to Christ, we are given this free gift, but that's not the end of grace in our life. Grace, if we are to live any day in Christ, grace is absolutely necessary. We can't live, we can't uh, get our own salvation without grace, and we can't live the Christian life without grace. And that's where it fits with the law. But the law is there so that from a, a perspective of one who's already come to Christ, God has hushed the law's loud thunder. He's quenched Mount Sinai's flame. So we don't see it as this thunderous storm coming towards us that is promising us punishment and judgment. But we say thank you because that that brought me to Christ and it showed me my need for grace. And now the law is this, this beautiful communication to me how I can best live a life of gratitude. Now, further as we're approaching the table, let's talk about obedience. And by talking about obedience, I want to talk about the obedience of Christ. That's what we must talk about when it comes to the law. We've, we've established that we, don't keep, we can't keep the law perfectly. The law shows us that. It's that mirror. And so who will keep the law? And that's where, let's do some theology a few minutes. That's where we have the obedience of Christ, the passive and active obedience of Christ, both being necessary. The passive obedience of Christ is all that he suffered in paying the penalty for our sin living a life of humiliation. All of the the pains, not physical only on the cross, but suffering all of the pains of hell for all of his people for all time on the cross. That was the passive obedience of Christ. Thanks be to God for that. And yet, never to diminish that. It's absolutely necessary for our salvation. But if it stops there, then we stand forgiven, but we still can't be in relationship with God. We've got nothing to offer. We we are that zero. And that's where the active obedience of Christ comes in. And that is him coming to this earth and perfectly fulfilling the law of God. And in terms of his humility, we see him, the, you know, him, the lawgiver, putting himself under the law and then fulfilling it, being perfectly obedient. And so in Christ's life, he had righteousness, And that's what he gives to us. 
We say he imputes it to us. His righteousness becomes ours. So that we are, we don't stand before God as a, a zero, as it were, but we have a positive righteousness before him. Not because of what we've done, but because of Christ in us. You see, that's, that's where the law comes in, in this. So you have the passive and active obedience of Christ. And now the table. I told you, because of how powerful the law is, it will drive you to something. It will absolutely drive you to something. If you read it earlier and you paid any attention to what you were reading, we all read it earlier, if you participate and you paid attention, then the law is going to drive you to something. One thing it can drive you to is just absolute despair. You read the law and you say, I'm hopeless. This life has no meaning. I, I can't do this. I see my inability to, to keep the law and to do good. And if you stop there, then you will be in despair. So I was at the Lexus dealer a couple months ago. It wasn't for me, okay? You were judging me. My brother-in-law, who lives in Texas, had researched a car, and he asked me to go look at it as if I would know anything about it, but I said, I will be glad to. I could tell if there were scratches on it or, you know, if the tires were flat. But uh, So I get to the Lexus dealer, and uh, um, he had already arranged with a, a particular salesman, and uh, I go with the salesman, and he shows me the car that uh, Jim, my brother-in-law, wanted me to look at. And we get in the car, and I'm sitting in the driver's seat, and he shows me everything a Lexus can do, okay? And <clears throat> it was amazing. It was in wonderful shape, as, of course, it, it would be. It had all these things that, you know, I, the more I saw them, the more I realized how badly I need them, you know? <laughs> and so... We get done with our little appointment, and I have to call and report to him that afternoon. And, uh, but I, I get into my Honda Civic, <laughs> and I'm pulling out of the lot, I'm sure much to their relief, you know, because I was parked right in front. And I, I drove just a couple of miles, and I was at a stoplight, and I, I called Connie, and I said, I hate my car. Now, the thing is, I like my car. I like my little Honda Civic. I still have it. You, you can see it out there. I do not have a Lexus. It's not in the plan. But here's the thing. I was fine until I saw the Lexus. And I wouldn't have had to go even through those moments of dissatisfaction had I not had those. 
Here's our problem. Too often, we compare ourselves to the Honda Civics around us in terms of how good or obedient we are. That's where the law comes in. The law is something completely different. And it shows us in a pedagogical way our great needs and our great flaws. And if we stop there, we will fall into despair. If you're there, you are feeling hopeless at this time. There's another thing the law can drive you to, and that is, the, it's a second option, that's the law will drive you into denial. Now, one form of denial when you see the law is to convince yourself that you can fulfill the law. That if you just work harder, maybe think more positively, maybe have another New Year's resolution, that you can do it. And if that's where you are, you're in real denial and you don't really know yourself. You're out of touch with with your own history and your own future. But there's another thing the law will drive us to, and that is Christ. You will go into denial, you will go into despair, or you will see your need for Christ. And that's what I've called the relief of the table. It's not that there's anything magical about this table. There isn't. But I'm talking about what it represents. And that is the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ given for us. It's the gospel. And that's why for God's people... For those who are trusting in Christ alone, at this table there is relief because we are reminded that whatever else is going on in my life, whatever other trials that I'm facing, if I'm in Christ Jesus, at this table there is peace with God. And that's a relief. Because when there is peace with God, it puts the other things into perspective. Listen to the words of institution as they're given to us by the Apostle Paul from 1 Corinthians 11. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, that's the meaning of the table. But here's the the gracious warning and gracious invitation. 
Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So here's the thing. Here's what he's saying. If you are anywhere other than having been driven to Christ and trusting in Him alone, then when these elements come down your road, just pass them. Nobody will pass judgment on you. You're doing the right thing. Because to take them, if you, if you don't have a relationship to Christ, is to invade a family meal that you weren't invited to. Now, I don't say that to sound mean. This is a gracious warning because God is saying, don't make a mockery of this because it'll, it'll bring judgment on you. So it's a gracious warning. Or if there's sin in your life that you are simply clinging to and and that's your God at the moment because you're not willing to give it up. You're not willing to repent and turn from it. Then let it pass. Now the better way is to deal with the sin and then to partake and to be strengthened in your relationship with Him. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your law that drives us somewhere. May it be to Christ this day. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.